This is the MyMac Podcasting Network. Welcome to Not Another Tech Fan Podcast, episode 53. That's right, Not Another Mac Podcast is hijacking the Tech Fan Show. We're holding Tim and David for ransom and making them record Not Another Mac Podcast this week. In order for you to free Tim and David, you'll need to go across to iTunes and subscribe and leave feedback for the Not Another Mac Podcast show. In all seriousness, welcome to the My Mac Podcasting Network Switcheroo episode. My name is Mark Greentree and I'm the regular host of Not Another Mac Podcast. On today's show, we will be discussing Google Plus and social networking, technology and education, and we will close out the show with a general rant on technology, what we currently like and what we currently dislike. Joining me on this week's show is Dennis Freitas from the Google Plus Today podcast, Jeff Bradbury from the TeacherCast podcast, and Kelly Spore from kellysworld.net. Guys, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having but, us, Mark. Ah, it's good to be here. Absolutely, Mark. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. And Dennis, it's great to have you back on with a podcast with me. Unfortunately, it's not on the normal Not Another Mac podcast, but uh, listeners to both shows would re- remember that Dennis and, and me started Not Another Mac podcast going back uh, maybe six months ago. And uh, Dennis had to unfortunately ste- step aside for a little bit. Uh, whilst he was doing his new podcast, which is Google Plus Today. So please check that out on iTunes. Very informative for Google Plus users. And Dennis, how's the new show been going for you? It's been going really well. I mean, we started off with a bang, and it, it's leveled off a little bit. Um, but I'll tell you, part of that just has to do with life in general, Mark, to be honest with you. I mean, just being so busy, it's so difficult to record. Um, and, you know, how, how difficult it could be to get guests on on a regular basis and that kind of thing. But uh, we really have had a great response from everybody in the uh, Google community. Uh, we do uh, Hangout Learns now. Um, we are part of another uh, program where we help new Google Plus users on Google Plus. So I spend a fair amount of time on Google Plus as well as doing the podcasting and maintaining the uh, Google Plus Today site as well. It's certainly wonderful to see someone that you know and you've collaborated with have such success. It's a, a very hard industry to break into uh, with regards to podcasting. It's, it's a challenge, but it's something that we're all very passionate about. Now, we're going to look at uh, Google Plus today, and having Dennis on the show is just great because he's the closest we can come to a true expert on Google Plus and social networking. Now, I'm a Google Plus user, as uh, the rest of the panel is as well. I like it. I'm, I'm not a fan of, of uh, Facebook. I absolutely detest it, mainly because of their mm-hmm. privacy settings and just the way they handle things and the way they change things. Uh, and, and sort of make you jump through hoops if you want to, say, for instance, leave the service. It, it just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like they're actually looking after the consumer and the individual person. So, Dennis, I'll, I'll throw a couple of questions across at you. You know, is Google Plus just another Facebook clone or is it something much more than that? Uh, no, I don't think so. And it's evident by the fact of what Facebook is doing and the drastic changes they're making to try and compete with a product or that's not even out of beta, really. It's, uh, I believe they can coexist, 
But you could see Facebook is scrambling to make several changes to compete with Google+. Now, of course, we throw Twitter in there as the big three. However, I think Twitter is its own, it's its own beast. I, that is just something that uh, is very unique and doesn't really fall into that category. I can see where these two are very similar. However, Google, I, again, I do think they can coexist. I think Google has done it right from the start. They've really made it very clear as to what you are going to experience when you come over to Google Plus. And if you get started right away, handling your circles clearly and a hold of your, your wall, if you will, even though they don't really have a wall, you're going to be just fine. And Facebook is doing everything they can to catch up now. So I think they're a little worried. I think Facebook's on their heels and they're reeling a little bit. Now, Dennis, uh, do you know what the user base is for Google Plus? And look, there's a difference, of course, between actual uh, people signed up to the service and people who are actively using it. Are, are there any stats coming out of Google uh, regarding those numbers? Yeah, you know, there's quite a few. Uh, right now, the latest thing I read was 40 million users. Now, it had a real spike when they when they took it out of the invite stage and they opened it up to anybody to go in. And then, of course, it fell off. But those numbers are really skewed. Uh, so right now, they're basically saying about 40 million users. I noticed that uh, I've received a ton more followers in the last two or three weeks since they've opened it up. Um, so people are coming, but they're coming slowly. And that's the nice thing. And the, the whole project is coming along uh, slowly as well. And, you know, Bradley Horowitz just did uh, All Things D in Asia. And in his interview, he even stated, we're just getting started. They, they have the technology and they, they have the power of Google. And, and I guess what I mean when I say the power of Google is they have all the other products that goes along with being a Google member. And a lot of people that have joined Google Plus is their first entry into the Google atmosphere, if you will, and ecosystem. So they're learning about Gmail. They're learning about Google Docs and, and uh, Google Reader. So... It's, it's surprising how many people didn't have Google IDs or Google you know, accounts to start with. Now, of course, that's one of the downsides. If you don't want a Google account, you can't get in. But there's a, there's a reason. There's a motivation for Google. It, you know, they, they're definitely an ad-driven company, and they want to learn all they can about you. Uh, but they don't need this, where Facebook has to have this. It's all they have. Google Plus has so much and so much to offer. And I, I don't know how much you, time you spend in it, but their new search feature is absolutely incredible within, uh, within Google Plus's interface right now. I haven't seen the new search feature. What does it actually do for us? Well, uh, here you go. Let me, if you go to the very top now, and remember they had Sparks at the beginning. Well, Sparks mm -hmm. is still there, but it really never got legs. So I'm just going to do a quick Apple search, and I'm sure something will come up. When you hit Enter now, you're going to get a list. So now instead of just getting a search, you get a return of everything, people, Google Plus posts, Sparks, and then they just within the last few days added best of and most recent. And the way they rank best of, to the best of my knowledge, is how many one pluses it gets, how many comments it gets, and you know how many times it's been viewed and shared. And then you can also click on most recent and it gives you a live stream of everything that's happening from uh, Google Plus based on that keyword you type in. 
That sounds very, very powerful. And Dennis, on, on the topic of the plus ones, does that actually link back into the Google general search engine as well? So for instance, if someone's looking up something that I've posted and I've had five people uh, plus one it, will that actually come up and, and sort of help with search results or it's totally unrelated? You know, honestly, Mark, I don't really know enough to comment, you know, uh, on that. I do know it helps with your Google Plus uh, search, but whether it goes into Google or not, I'm not 100% sure. There's still some question. Kelly, you might have a little insight on this, huh? No, it's my understanding that it's supposed to – I think it goes into the algorithm that, that, that Google is using to rank um, search returns from what I've been hearing. Uh, but, you know, that's a lot of the stuff, you know, Google doesn't really talk about very much. No, they don't. Uh, you know, that's one of the things them and Facebook definitely have a lot in common in that regard. They don't talk about their product. They're not telling us how many people are on it. Everything we're hearing about how many people are on it is coming for secondary sources. So I don't know how much stock we can actually put in it. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying there's not a lot of users. I'm, I, I'm confident there are. Uh, but how many there are and and how it all plays in to you know uh, people that got websites and the linking back to it and what impact it has Google doesn't say uh, that's right that's and, right you know uh, yeah uh, well, social networking just is uh, it, it's such a nascent industry um, and it's an industry there's no two ways about it you know and Facebook is making money hand over fist. Google is making money hands over fist. Now, Google's not making money on Google Plus, as far as we can tell at the moment. They will. Uh, they'll figure out a way to monetize it, but the only way we're going to really monetize it uh, is some form of advertising, whether it be Absolutely. linking or flat-on ads like Facebook does. Yep. Um, so they'll figure that out. Uh, you, you guys are talking, and, and, I, and I don't mean to go off on a rant on you, uh, on, on you Mark. Uh, <laughs> That's all right. Uh, I do that on my own show anyway. So, uh, okay, all right. Well, then so I'm just doing we'll, it a We'll rant on the tech fan show this week, that's for sure. Okay. All right. Um, we were, you were asking Dennis kind of, um, you know, is Google Plus a, a Facebook clone or are they just trying to copy what Facebook has done? And I don't, th I don't think they are, although it has been obvious for some time that Google wanted to get into social. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, they obviously want to get in social for one reason, and that reason is clicks. That, I mean, they are all about the clicks. That's why Android is out there. That's why Android is free, because um, it, it's it just all about the clicks. Um, but uh, the way Google is going about it, uh, I'm, I'm severely concerned. I like Google+. Plus. Um, there are things about Facebook that I that I do like, although it's not very much. I'm not a huge fan of Facebook, although I do use it. Um, Google has a tendency to abandon projects very quickly. Um, Google Voice has been abandoned for almost a year now. Um, uh, they haven't even updated their iPhone app because it broke. It, it got broke by iOS five. And iOS yes, five that's beta annoying now, me actually. <laughs> yeah, and iOS five beta has been out since what July, Dennis? Yeah. So they yeah. had all that time to do something with it, and they've basically said screw it. Uh, but the the ad revenue, it, maybe it didn't apply to uh, some of the other projects, but this you are able to learn, uh, you know, about about the people that are using it. You're learning what they like. 
you're learning about where they're going, where they're going to be, who they talk to, who they collaborate with, your online habits. I mean, are currently our Gmail's being scanned. So if, if we're having a conversation in email about a chainsaw, they're going to send us an ad for Home Depot's chainsaws. I don't think they're going to drop Google Plus because they can gather so much data. Probably one thing that I'm a little bit concerned about with their advertising that they'll uh, release down the line sometime is how secure is our information going to be? Are people putting a little bit too much information on Google Plus, sort of trusting it, and then they're going to have access to that information for advertising purposes? It's a little bit of a, a dark area that I'm not too sure about. Dennis, how do they actually... Uh, protect users at the moment in contrast with Facebook. Obviously, Facebook just changes whatever they like, whenever they like, and we've all got to put up with it uh, if Mm -hmm. we want to be a Facebook user. Does Google handle sort of updates to their security preferences differently? Uh, I mean, that's kind of a broad question, but uh, right now I haven't seen too many security uh, issues Although from the start, their privacy settings have been money and you've been able to share with only a select group of people. What's going on with Google collecting that data? That I don't know. Although, uh, you know, when we had Andy on, Andy Anako on, he mentioned that Google is too big to risk it, to sell your data or to do something bad with your data. Uh, Even Facebook is too big. And of course, Apple and Amazon. And those are only companies that we really can trust, uh, if you will. Uh, Can you really trust anybody? Not really. But yes, I I think those companies have too much to lose. They, They have everything to gain by continuing to keep your information secure and not selling it out. Uh, I mean, I gave Google my phone number. I, I don't know if you guys did, but I felt comfortable doing that. And it helps with Google Maps and things like that. I, ne- I've never had an issue. Yeah, mm-hmm. I tend to keep the information that I publish on uh, any sort of network rather private. Um, you know, I'll put email addresses on there, certainly, even, um, you know, sort of direct messaging options and stuff like that. But when it comes to sort of phone numbers and that, that's when I sort of start going... Am I giving a little bit too much information out? And I suppose I look at it from a standpoint of who's then getting that information. What are they then using it with? There's so much fraud in the world today that uh, I just question about how much to give out. So uh, just food for thought. I personally don't give much out, but I know others do. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Dennis, what's the key differences between Facebook and Google Plus? You know, I, I know a lot of people who are on Facebook who have no idea that Google Plus even exists. If I was to go and tell them, "Hey, uh, you know, there's this new thing, Google Plus," what would I be able to tell them that would make them go, "Wow, that's so much better than what Facebook does"? I think because they did things right from the start. And, and you know, honestly, I'll start with, say, Circles, for example. That, and now you'll notice that Facebook is trying to do a family and friends and close friends. And it's really, you know, they put the uh, cart before the horse there. Where I think Google has really thought this out thoroughly and said, what's going to be the best user experience for people and talking about things like security and how you sh- and how you share your information and how you receive your information as well there is no wall on on Google Plus and that confuses people there is a stream but that goes by and it's gone there's no you can't write on my wall if you will 
However, the circles is really where I see a big difference. So now I can selectively share and it gets better and better. I just noticed that they did an update to photos as well. So now you can actually go into your albums and say, I want this album to be private. Nobody sees this album. Or I just want not only circles, but you can select individual people as well. Now, uh, an example of that is we did a hangout recently, the, the four of us actually, when uh, Steve Jobs passed away to have a discussion about Steve and celebrate his life and kind of help each other out. Well, I made that a public uh, hangout, if you remember, and it wasn't a very good experience. Well, you can easily say, I just want to have these four people in this hangout, and that's all based on the circles. So if you get control of those circles immediately, that makes your user experience just that much better. I believe that's one of the number one uh, uh, advantages of Google Plus over Facebook. But that's not all. There are so many more things. And I think we're only seeing some of the beginning. And again, to go back to the, the Bradley Horowitz interview, he even mentions that he's really, you know, it's, it's kind of like they took a, a page out of Apple's book. They're not releasing things too quick here. What they're doing is they're letting the users have a little and say, okay, this is, this is working. This is okay. Okay, we don't like this. So then they pull that back and then, you know, they rearrange their search, for example. They have everything there. They could put, you know, all the doc integration, they could put calendar integration, you know, they've, they've dabbled in YouTube a little bit. They have everything in place, but they're not just going to all throw everything at the wall. They want to see how the users are going to interact. And it's just that much better than Facebook. One of the classics is they just upgraded, now hanging out, obviously Google Plus, I'm sorry, uh, Facebook does not allow for hangouts, but they have hangout extras now. And what's part of the Hangout Extras is the ability to uh, share docs. You can uh, name your Hangout. You can have shared notes separate from your doc, so like a live note and a sketch pad. And you can also do screen sharing. And what's really cool about the, the recent change they made to the Hangouts and screen sharing is you can pick a particular window. So you don't have to show them your entire desktop. You can just show them a web page you're looking at or a particular document you're looking at. So they really are thinking these things out before they release them. And uh, so I would say circles and hangouts and just the simple fact that knowing what Google has in place already, it's going to continue. They're going to continue to build on all of that data that they already have. Again, the search is another perfect example. You're, you're getting great search options that you just don't have in Facebook. Hey, Dennis, well, I have a question for you. Yeah. I, I talk about Google Plus a lot with, in my teaching community. And the first question people always come up with is, what is Google Plus? And, and immediately the first, que the first answer I have is, it's like Facebook, but... Mm. And as soon as they say the F word, you know, they, their smile goes away and they're like, oh, I don't want to deal with this. How do you answer the question, what is Google Plus, and relate it to somebody who has no idea about it without saying it's like Facebook, but? Well, I, I don't know if you can do that. I mean, it's inevitable that everybody is going to hang that comparison on it for some time until Google Plus can get away from, from that, uh, that tag right now. Um, I know that what I tell a lot of people is just what I had just mentioned about the circles and the ability to really control who comes in and who finds you and who sees what you're posting. But on top of that, 
Google Plus, the way they've let people in, and I can't remember back when uh, I was early adopter to Facebook, but they didn't take the time that they did. To, and at the time, I thought it was a mistake for Google to be holding back and not letting people in. But the fact that they let people in in increments and they selected a certain amount of beta users, the way that it started, it's become more of a... Um, I need to use the right word here because it's it's a little bit more technical than Facebook. You don't see a lot of the types of posts you see on Facebook on Google+. So it's more of a technical uh, social network, if you will. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I put yeah. it a little bit in the ballpark closer to Twitter. And certainly a lot of Twitter followers uh, that I've got uh, that are tech-related come across to Google Plus and love it, um, whereas most of them don't use Facebook. Most of them just go, no, we don't want to see someone lying drunk on their front porch, um, you know, and, and see all the shenanigans go on over at Facebook. So it is it is a great system. I, I've been loving Google Plus, and, and someone who doesn't necessarily like a lot of social networking, I've got to say Google Plus is perfect for me. I just hope that they don't, stuff it up <laughs> really. you know and i remember mark when we first talked about it and you i remember you mentioning that it was going to take some pretty serious convincing you know for you to come over yeah. and i respect i respect that about you and i thought okay this is going to be an interesting challenge and i know that you're slowly kind of migrating over and i see you posting a little bit more but i think there's just again i don't want to sound like i'm a google plus snob but there is definitely a different um standard. Uh, for example, when you see a post on Google+, you'll see a hundred comments. And most of those comments are part of the content. And I save, I use Evernote uh, to save all of my Google Plus posts that I want to save for later. And it works out great. And then I save them to my iPad. And when I have some downtime, I just sit and read through the entire post and all, everything that people added. So if Robert Scoble, for example, makes a post, it really becomes this outstanding conversation with Robert Scoble, who stays and interacts, which is something I really appreciate. But where else in the world are you going to get a chance to interact with Robert Scoble or uh, you know Brian Wong or Andy Anatko for that matter? Here you have that opportunity, and people are making the most of it, and they're not coming across as you know, um, well, let's just say they're they're answering appropriately. <laughs> Well, here, here's here, here's what I think. Um, f there's a lot of comparisons between Facebook and Google Plus, and um, it's inevitable. They're both social networks, uh, and you know you could compare them to MySpace and Friendster, and you know, uh, you know, God, now going back now ten years of, of of social networks of of one of one ilk or another. Um, the big difference, though, is that. Facebook has well, it has 700, you know, million users. It has basically people. If you own a computer, there's a good chance you're on Facebook, right? Um, what, which means your family, your friends, a lot of people are on there. And so what I'm seeing right now is a difference is that um, Facebook is not unlike. Ooh, I'm trying to think of a real world comparison, maybe a, a bar or a restaurant. Uh, where you all get together with your friends and you chat, right? Um, and, and Google, Google Plus could be the university. 
<laughs> well, not, well not, no, not the university because uh, I don't think the university uh, – uh, more of a uh, – but more of a town square. Yeah. Okay. Um, and here's my fear though. It can't survive doing that, not for a long period of time. Um, it's uh, – it, because it's not going to get the every man in there. You're going to get people coming in and, and, and those who like to pontificate are going to – I love it. I'm one of them. I like to pontificate. Uh, <laughs> and you'll notice if you read through a lot of the posts, the people that are posting a lot are those individuals that like to pontificate. And you will see their names appearing again and again and again and again. Um, and I often have tendency to you know, you know, know, join them just to see them go off and you know, on, on their rants. And sometimes they're stupid, <laughs> unintelligent rants, and sometimes they've got points. Um, it's never fun to these, get people on a rant. Yeah, but but, that, but that that's and okay. That's okay. Survive. I don't know if I, they can survive on just that because Google has to make money on it. And I think that's okay, Kelly, because you have that granulated control. You're you have the ability to say I, I I'm done with this person and, I, and I'm going to block them or I'm going to remove them from my know, circles. But my, but, my, but my mom, my dad, my my brother, my kids, my coworkers aren't on there. Not and yet. I don't see them and, and I don't know if they're going to. I've talked to them about it and Facebook is just enough. I, I, I and, and they're not going to leave Facebook because their mom, their brother, their friends, their coworkers are on Facebook. Do we think that Facebook – Got there early enough and dominated enough and got that 700 million users that unless Google comes up with a killer feature, which they don't have yet, they don't have a killer feature. They got great features. They don't got a killer feature, um, and they're not going after the mobile group, and, and Facebook is now actually upping the game. What do they got that can – and I, I'm not trying to knock Google Plus. I don't want you to think I, – because I, I do enjoy it. But if they can't, if they can't get the 100, 200, 300 million users worldwide, um, how is Facebook going to monetize it? Well, I don't, I don't think that they need to necessarily compete with the level of users that Facebook has to be successful. If we look at the scenario, the, the you know, long-time argument over which is better, Windows versus Apple – uh, you know, Apple isn't the biggest one, yet they're still innovating, still creating, still pushing forward, and people flock into them. You know, Windows has fallen a little bit. Not massively, but, but enough that it's noticeable. So I don't think necessarily being the biggest is, is going to help. I mean, Apple's got more money than Microsoft does now. No, so, but, you know, if able, you look at monetizing... But users won't... Uh, it, it doesn't matter, it, you know, if you've got 700 million users, it just means you've got a few more clicks. If Google actually thinks about a, an intelligent way to actually throw advertising onto this, they could actually make a lot more money. Um, well, that could be the killer, and that could be the killer feature yeah, yeah. for them. But they don't have that yet. And at the way it's structured at the moment, um, you know, at, what is it? Andy Nako keeps talking about the little blue links. <laughs> it's, <laughs> that's, that they can't make money that way. So they got to find another way to make money. So it's either they're going to have to charge for their service, which Google has never done, um, or they've got to come up with a way to get ads on the page. And, and their current system of doing ads, while it you know might work. Um, Here's but, a crazy thought for you. What if they just never monetize Google Plus? What I, if they I, leave it as a free service? Then they're idiots. Well, no, they're idiots. 
I agree. I agree with Mark on this. I do. They don't need this. And I've said that since day one. Google does not need this. They're doing this to kind of get that, you know, they made that huge mistake about no evil and people have twisted it. They will monetize it. I do think they, you will, uh, I guarantee you're going to see ads here. That you're going to see ads. But I don't think you need 700 million users. I'm not and saying I they need 700 think- million, but they, they've got to have more than what they got. They probably have maybe, maybe a couple of million really active users. You know, some real-world examples um, that, that I see as an advantage of Google+, and, and then as, uh, kind of a comparison, if you will, a silly comparison. But uh, when I was getting an iPhone app built, I did not want to use one of the Internet services. They put way too many constraints on me. So I was able to hang out with six different people that all were trying to sell me their particular um, uh, service all at the same time. So it was awesome to be in a hangout with 10 people that were very tech savvy that I knew that going in because they were part of my tech circles. I was able to know exactly who I wanted to get in and interview all of them all at the same time in the same position. You can't find that on Facebook and you're not going to find that on Facebook. They're just two different beasts to me. And here's the silly analogy. It's kind of like going out to dinner. Some nights you go out to a a real cheap restaurant. Sometimes you go to a fancier one. Google's the more fancy social network, if you will. I like that analogy. And that'll close out our Google discussion. And we'll take a quick break. And when we return, we'll be back with technology and education. Looking for in-depth coverage of the Mac universe? How about hard-hitting interviews with industry leaders with all the questions you want to ask? Or detailed product reviews for programs costing thousands of dollars? Then you should definitely find something other than the MyMac.com podcast. The MyMac.com podcast is the show for every Mac user. Fun, entertaining, with news, reviews, and interviews with people just like you who want more from a podcast than just talking heads. Find us on iTunes by doing a search for My Mac and get ready for a good time. I used to like talking heads. All right, we're back and we're going to discuss technology and education. Now, Jeff, this is a a big deal for you. It's a a topic that you're very close to. You're a teacher by day and really, I suppose, a a technology podcast, a blogger by night. And you try to integrate your full-time career with your passion, which is technology. Is technology really being accepted by the teaching community at the moment at all levels? Or is it still a little bit rocky in places? I, I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, is it being accepted? Absolutely. Um, when you say in all levels, I, I translate that as middle school, high school, elementary levels. And, and absolutely, there are some great app developers out there that I'm, I'm getting to meet and work with who are developing some amazing apps for all levels, um, all different subjects out there. And 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 you know no matter what kind of a, a, a teacher you are or or specialized area administrator too, there's just an awful lot of great technology coming out for all platforms, desktop platforms, Windows, Mac, and of course iOS devices. Now at the university level, I know that they've got iTunes U, and that's a, a big sort of component. Is there a lot sort of aimed at, at that sort of generation there? Because obviously they're a generation that didn't necessarily even have 
uh, iPads and, and sort of a computer for each child as they were going through the junior schools and so forth. You know, you know is it more university-based than sort of junior schools? You know, it, it's interesting. I haven't really dealt with a lot of universities through TeacherCast. I, I am, you know, I, I do talk to a lot of professors and, and colleges, but... You know, I really think that iTunes University is one of those really amazing hidden gems on on the internet. Not many people know it. Every time I bring it up in a podcast or I'm speaking to teachers about it, I, I did a professional development class yesterday with a bunch of teachers from my school, and and they knew nothing about iTunes University. In fact, the way that I opened the the session was I asked everybody, "What is iTunes?" And and they said things like it's a place that sells music or it's a place that sells books or it's the thing that my kids always go to. And I said, you're right, but but you're kind of all wrong because, you know, iTunes is the largest space on the Internet, I believe, for free educational products, you know, with podcasts from all walks of life and iTunes University, which is audio and video um, demonstrations, lectures, PDFs, uh, you name it, it you, uh, for whatever topic, it's on there. Um, Applications, it, too. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and it is growing. I, I, I would love to see. I, I know, Mark, you're not big on Apple having 800 different little apps. But I would love to see in the future Apple develop an iTunes University portal. Um, because it is buried inside this big, huge, giant monster that is iTunes. You know, that kind of portal idea would actually work. I, I think probably the issues that I've got with iOS, for instance, is that they release the iBookstore and then they release Newsstand, and, and those two could really go together. But I could honestly see how valuable it could be for students and teachers alike to actually have an iTunes U, iTunes University uh, link directly on the, the home page. That's a great idea, Jeff. You know, if you look at iTunes on your phone or iTunes on your iPad, you have to dig inside that app to either find podcasts, but let alone to find iTunes University. And I mean, it's easy to go out and buy the latest Kesha song or the latest Jay-Z song, but to really get to the educational stuff, you know, teachers aren't looking for that stuff. They're going to open up iTunes and go, oh, it's iTunes. It's got movies and music. I don't need this right now. Or I don't want to purchase things. Um, there's a lot of schools out there that don't take advantage of it. On the other hand, there's a lot of teachers that are building things for iTunes University. So, uh, you know, it, it all really all depends on, on what school district and what teachers you're talking about. Well, and how, Je I, well, I'm sorry. I mean, I was just thinking, you know, a lot of it has to do with just how technical, um, the university and, or, um, primary or, or secondary school wants to be. Or can be. Um, you follow me on that? It, it, a lot oh, absolutely. of them are scared and, and to death of technology. I mean, f we were talking about Google Plus and Facebook earlier and social networks. There are teachers in the United States that are not allowed to use those services under penalty of termination. Right. Well, look, I'll, I'll give you a good example. This week in my school district was parent-teacher night. And we had a night conference on Wednesday, and then Thursday and Friday we had daytime conferences. So all week I've basically had half days. I've lost a lot of instructional time. And I'm talking to uh, one of our teacher cast friends who's an assistant principal in Mississippi for an elementary. And, and we're talking about you know teacher-parent conferences and what does he do? And he says, well, we don't have them anymore. 
And I said, what? <laughs> you don't you don't have parent teacher conferences? And he said, no, Mark, sit down for this one. He says, instead of doing parent teacher conferences, we just organize a Facebook party and the oh, teachers no. meet the parents <laughs> on Facebook. <laughs> Oh, now, look, it's, a complete, <laughs> it's a complete 180 of, of what my district does, what, what Mark's district might do, but it's another way of doing things. Well, and, you know what? And, it actually upsets me a little bit. I don't like that. I, and, but, uh, and it's not that but, I don't but, like technology. It's but that, take the word Facebook away and put Google no, Plus. No, it's not Facebook. Take the word it's Facebook not, no. away and put Skype. No, no, no. It's none of those. It's not that it's Facebook. It's not that it's Skype. Um, it's that it's expecting that the family has the ability to do that here in, in my town in Wiley, Texas, which is outside of Dallas. Um, uh, there's a lot of things where they're, I mean, they don't send letters home with kids anymore. They send everything via email or they expect you to check their website. There are, there are parents and families in this town that can't afford a computer, much less the internet connection, to get to the website. Much now, every Facebook. school district is different. I mean, my, my school district is certainly not one of the leading school districts out there. There's other districts that are complete what we, what we call one-to-one, which is one student, one device, whether that be a, a notebook, desktop, laptop, iPad, whatever. And, and, and you know, I'm talking to all these different school districts, and, of course, they're at various social economics um, you, you know, I, I'm talking to this great school out in Arizona where I think statistically two out of every nine students is an immigrant or a refugee. And then the other population is, is poverty driven. But the, the philosophy of the district is let's not let that stop us. Let's, you know, we're here for the kids. Let's keep pushing that forward out there. And, and do I agree with let's not have teacher conferences? Of course not. I think it's, a very essential point of view. But right now in our district, in the last two years, we've gone to, instead of mailing out your report card, it's online. Now, if this, if the teacher, sorry, if the parent can't get to a computer, doesn't have the access, well, then they can request it. So we're mailing out maybe 50 or 75 report cards as opposed to 1,800. You know, Jeff, it's not too often that you can be a pioneer, especially in the internet. And I kind of see what you're doing as being a pioneer in this particular area of education. Now, I agree. I don't think it should be Facebook. I don't think it should be Google Plus because I think there is seriously um, somebody has. Plus. No, it, it's it's the responsibility of of all the accounts, and we've spoken about this before, Jeff. But the fact that the kids would have to actually open up a Facebook account and then possibly be tracked because of what the school required them to do or Google and open a Gmail account. I can see that, but somehow there has to be somebody thinking about creating a social network for schools to do that exactly what you. you're talking about. I have one for you. I just got a link. Let me see if I can find it here, but there is a, website out there called Buzz Years, B-U-Z-Z-Y-E-A-R-S. And it's, it's a great, it's, I, I'll call it a new website because it's starting, as I'm doing the podcast here, Twitter is starting to buzz about it. But it seems like it's a great place for schools to set up a school social network, collaborate, pa parents can go back and forth. Um, there's other ones like Edmodo is a great place that's just for students that have Students accounts, student blogs. There's no one's tracking anything. The teacher has access to the kids' accounts, and so there's not going to be the expectation that oh, maybe there's bullying involved. 
Um, there's a place called Kid Blog that's out there, which is a great blogging site, again, for teachers to teach students how to write, be creative, and, and really use things. They don't have to go out of the shallow end, shall we say, and get into doing a blogger or a WordPress account. They don't need to do that. Um, you know, so, so Buzz Years is a social network for teachers and parents to collaborate type of thing? or You know what? It's, it says right here on our website, Buzz Years Parents Group are safe and secure way to share, collab- collaborate, and communicate with parents, communities, and school members. Very nice. Other than that, I, I'm just looking at the front page right now. I haven't signed up for this. I, I, you know, I've been looking at this for the last six or seven minutes. But it looks like it's a safe school community as opposed to going out on the Google world or the Facebook world. And, and there are a few of these popping up, I'm noticing, you know, which is going to, you know, rise to the top. We'll see. Um, but there are places out there. Buzz years I'm seeing is one and, and kid blog is, is another where they're, they're safe communities for students and teachers to, you know, learn and they don't have to worry about all the Google apps and all of the Facebook mm-hmm. problems and all the, so, you know, like I said, when I first started, there's a lot of great apps being developed for the educational community. Younger kids, early kids, high school kids, even college kids. One of the things that I like to ask on the podcast is how young should we start to create digital footprints for these kids? And, and some principals and superintendents said right away, you know, get them going out there. Or, you know, the average age I'm seeing is about third or fourth grade with Get them writing. Even if it's today I did this or that and they start doing a daily or a weekly journal, at least they're creating a digital footprint. And that's how you start to teach the kid about Internet safety and, and, and don't go down the wrong path. And, and so, yeah, there's an awful lot of stuff that's out there. And uh, I, I'm excited about all this. All, you know, it's a great time to be an educator right now. I can't say that enough. And you have to educate them now early because, uh, you know, if you don't and they get involved in these social networks and they don't understand what they're doing with them. You know, my daughter wanted in. Remember MySpace, how big mm-hmm. that was? Okay. Well, she wanted in and I had to give her, you know, a fake uh, birth date. I wouldn't do it. And all her <laughs> friends were doing it. And I found this site called MB, I-M-B-E-E, and it was for younger kids. And it was okay, but it wasn't MySpace. So at one point, I finally collapsed. I gave it to her and set it up. But the problem is, you you know, unless you're standing over her shoulder, you don't know who's contacting her. And most kids react by when somebody else does something wrong, whether it's in public or online, is they feel they're going to get in trouble for what that other person did. So the sooner we can teach them, you know, how to interact on a social network, I think the better. You know, I liked, I, I, you know, not too long ago, Dennis came on to the TeacherCast podcast and we were talking about this. And I, I think your analogy was if you're walking home and you get hit by a stranger mm-hmm. or something, you're, you scream and you, you're, you teach your kids to make a loud noise to be noticed. But if they're online and something happens, they, you know, they just have this natural reaction not to say anything. But yes. it's the same idea. Some stranger's coming up to this kid and something bad's going to happen. In one yep. scenario, the kid's taught to blow a whistle. On the other hand, we just won't talk about it because they might get in trouble for being where they're not supposed to be. So if we leave this as taboo and you can't get into a social network, you can't join Facebook, you can't join Google+, you can't join Twitter, they're going to. 
<laughs> they're going to on their own. Yeah, it's very true, isn't it? And it's something that, you know, yeah. I'm very opposed to kids being on these services and, uh, you know, family members and that, that let their teenage kids on there and just go, oh, yeah, it's fine. You know, I, I sort of, I almost, I rant at them, let's be honest, um, sure. about how silly and stupid they are. But really, it, it's true what you guys are saying. It, it shouldn't really be regarded that way because if we don't do it now, then they're going to want to rebel against us later on and and uh, they could get themselves into a hell of a lot more trouble than if we guide them through the process. And probably the, the only thing as a, a parent that I'd say to other parents listening to this show, if you want to monitor and block, especially at home, uh, certain sites and so forth, try opendns.com. It changes uh, the, the domain, uh, domain name servers. Uh, rather than using the default one that comes with your ISP, it's a specific one that allows just more control over what sites your kids can actually get to and what they can't. And it can also give you some monitoring as well so that you can actually block things at certain times or just totally block them completely. So that I can recommend uh, because it is rather good. Now, it's, now here's a it's true just a story. Whole new, it's just a whole new element, I'll be quick, uh, that we have to help educate them with. And I think we know what some of the other things are that we've had to have the, the birds and the bees talks and that kind of thing. I honestly think that this needs to be treated the same way. Or like you're saying, they're going to go out on a rebellion and they're going to find out on their own. They're going to hide it from us where I would rather them have a place to go where they can do it and and do it correctly and learn and if it could be integrated into uh, a classroom setting that's a great place to learn it here's a quick story for you and this is something that i had somebody tell me we've all heard of the kids that are like trust fund kids where they know they have money and they're just waiting for their 17th 18th birthday and then as soon as they hit that it's mom i want my cash you owe it to me well, I, ha I heard of a situation where the parents actually went out and they got their kid's name as a .com and they, they already got the Twitter name and they basically they were setting themselves up for once the kid gets old enough, they would have their domain name and, and they wouldn't have things like, you know, somebody else taking them. And, and I've heard the situation where the parent was arguing with the, what was it, a sixth or a seventh grader because the sixth or the seventh grader wanted to join Twitter because they had their own Twitter name. And they got into a little, you know, a, a, a power struggle because the kid wanted to be on Twitter. The parent owned that kid's name for safety reasons. And, you know, these are things are happening right now because kids want to create that digital footprint. Kids want to be creative. We as parents want our kids to go out there and do things. But of course, we want them to do that safely and in safe environments. But, you know, just as you have these young sports stars going up and making money and, and getting scholarships and stuff, and why wouldn't we want our fourth and fifth and sixth graders to start learning how to be creative and write? There's so many different ways to, to get your name out there. I, I, I think there's just a ton of possibilities out there that we can start teaching our kids how to use. Agreed. Now, Jeff, um, being a teacher in a, a daily classroom and so forth, can you say a day when you actually could have textbooks purely on either, uh, you know, tablet devices and, and not have physical books anymore? Or do you think there's still a need as we're in this transitional process from, you know, paper-based material to technology that kids have access to both, really? Well, I'll answer that with, with a simple question of, of the answer is yes for both ways. <laughs> we have a lot of schools out there right now that can't afford to do things. 
And so going all digital just isn't in the cards. They have so many other things they have to worry about. On the other hand, there's school districts that can't afford things. So they're leasing a thousand iPads. And instead of going out and paying for paper and ink and toner and copiers and a copy lady and, and you name it, they're making things like live binders and they're making digital portfolios. And there's a tons, tons of schools out there now that don't use textbooks. And, and it's, it's actually, you know, if I can use the term, it's pissing off a lot of the book companies like McGraw Hill and, and all, all the other ones that not to mention them by, by name, but like, you know, teachers aren't purchasing those books because they can go onto Wiki or they can go on to you name the website and get updated information. Why should this school have to subscribe to a even a digital textbook these days? Um, I know in the class that I teach, I don't have a music theory book. I've made everything up on my own, rather through digital means, um, finding things online, linking to other websites. But I'm teaching an entire two-year curriculum on music theory all based off of internet devices and what I can produce myself. I don't need well, to go out and some, spend a $70 book times 100 some, kids. In some states or cities, that wouldn't be possible like here in Texas. You know what I'm interested in asking, and I don't know if you know this, Jeff, but um, what has there been any talk in media or, or in just teaching circles of the statistics relating to the performance of learning and the value uh, versus uh, traditional books to technology. It, is there an advantage with either one or hasn't really been discussed yet? You know, I'll, I'll answer it in a roundabout way because I, I ask the question a lot of, of how do you do things? You know, with TeacherCast and our podcast, I'll bring on specialists and principals and superintendents and teachers and I'll say, how are you doing this? Um, we we talk one of the big buzzwords at least in New Jersey if not around this around the country is bullying and kids if every kid is given let's say a, a laptop or every kid is given the same iPad no one's going to get bullied for their internet device because everybody has one why would you go and and, and beat up somebody for theirs and if everyone is carrying one device, then suddenly they're not carrying around a 40-pound book bag. They're interested in studying because at that point in time, a lot of their learning is going to be interactive through an app or through a website or through something. And, and and as a kid, I can look at my students. They'd rather learn by something visual and interactive and dynamic rather than, my God, some of these English textbooks that the kids are running around on, they're at least two inches thick. And I wouldn't, I don't, I wouldn't want to learn off of that thing. I'd rather learn off of this little one inch, you know, half pound device that I walk around called an iPad or an iPhone. I, I'd, I would learn better that way personally. And I know there's a Absolutely. lot of kids out there that are, are engaged in what they're doing. Yesterday I did a lesson on Beethoven in my theory class. And we turn the lights out. I do a little PowerPoint. I show the movie on Beethoven and, and we talk about him throughout the entire year. And my kids are like, well, uh, I, the lights are out. You mind if I take notes on my iPhone? A absolutely. So I had 12 kids out of my 20 kids pull out their internet devices and they're typing away on their phones. It was amazing. It looked like one of those commercials where you take out your phone and you're using it as a lighter. But it was really, really neat to watch these kids using their technology. Well, they were either taking your notes or they were that. playing Angry Birds. <laughs> well... <laughs> 
<laughs> maybe just, one of them or two. Maybe, I, maybe their teacher was in the back playing Angry Birds while giving a lecture <laughs> on Beethoven. I don't know. You know what? But, I, that, that's probably just one of the things that really I, I think in the classroom it needs to be uh, taken note of. That really the schools I think need to introduce this, you know, one device per student, and then make sure that they can control the actual content that's on there. Uh, because once you have kids bringing in their own devices then who knows if learning's actually working or if they're on Facebook or they're playing a game or they're, you know, watching a movie or something. Who knows? But certainly... And, and you know, there, there's a lot of people out there that are saying, well, we don't have money for that in our school district. And, and my answer is, you know, I, I was talking to one of the IT guys down and I think he's in one of the Carolinas. It has to be one of the Carolinas because there's only two of them. Um, <laughs> but, but he said he slashed his technology budget by half. And I said, well, how did you do that? And he says, well, we just took out about 800 printers in the entire school district. I said, well, what did the teachers do when you took out the printers? And they're like, well, they stopped needing to use paper. They just found other ways to use it. The teachers adapted. They, okay, so you can't print things out. Now they're forced to use Google Docs and Google Forms and other ways to, to, to make stuff out. And so, again, their ink budget shrunk. Their... They needed to get more RAM in their computers, but RAM will last you for a couple years on a machine. Ink, you know, I can't believe how much toner that we use in our school district. And my, my building isn't even that big for a high school. But teachers are smart creatures. We will adapt. If you take away our printer, we will find a way to still teach. I mean, good teachers will find a way to teach the students, I believe. You don't need, you know, as, as Dennis says with Google Plus, you don't need Google Plus to do what you need to do. You don't need to have an iPad to teach a kid. You can teach a kid in a one-room building with 100 kids in there. But the technology is there, and I think the good teachers will figure out how to use it. I'm sure they will, and uh, I'll certainly have the opportunity to see how the teachers at my daughter's school next year uh, actually handle technology. So I'm looking forward to that. So we'll I hope they use Facebook for conferences, Mark. I hope they don't. Um, <laughs> hope they don't use, I all. think they it, should use MySpace. They should just use MySpace. <laughs> you know what? If they use any social networking, I'm moving the kids. Oh, wait, <laughs> Mark, oh, Orcut. Doing... They can use Orcut. <laughs> can you imagine doing an online parent-teacher conference, Mark, on MySpace, and the <laughs> teacher's thing has some big, huge Jay-Z, <laughs> and that's, that's the website that you go to for your four-year-old's uh, parent-teacher conference? You Everyone know what? would be it mesmerized be, by the sprites. It would be an absolutely awesome use of technology, <laughs> but but and Mark I, will be I, I still want to go that parent-teacher interview, get up on my soapbox, and talk to the teacher one-on-one, I think. So uh, on wait, that wait, note... Wait, wait is, the teacher, is the teacher teaching about mobile me? No. <laughs> on that Thank note... We'll, <laughs> on that note, third time, guys, we'll take a break and uh, we'll come back with our rants. So uh, whatever you want to rant about, we're going to deliver a big-ass rant and uh, just have a lot of fun. So we'll be back in a minute. We are building a religion. We are building it bigger. We are widening the corridors and adding more lanes. We are building a religion. Do you hate when your favorite Apple-related or iPhone-related podcast makes a religion out of it? Do you hate when your favorite podcast is wonderful except that it's about an hour and a half too long and they go on and on and on and on and on and on and on? I hate when they talk for hours. 
Am I using my four-year-old daughter to help me record a podcast promo? If you're tired of podcasts that last for hours and don't do anything except bash everybody that doesn't like everything that you do, and all you want to do is instead have some lighthearted talk about the products that you like, the iPhone, the iPad, and the iPod Touch, and the Apple TV, then join us on Pocket Size Podcast. We're short, we talk about iPhone, iPad, iPod Touch, and when we do talk about the competition, we try to be open-minded, but not so open-minded that our brains fall out. Pocket Size Podcast, from MyMac.com. is calling you, do Okay, welcome back. And uh, now we're going to have our rant. But before we have a rant, one of the panel members has a new iPhone, an iPhone 4S. Kelly, uh, how good is it? Does Siri actually work? Is Siri useful? Is this the future of computing? Are we going to see this roll out to our computers and iPads and and we're just going to be in this futuristic sci-fi world or is it a complete (laughs) flop? Okay, well, let me say, first off, it's not a flop, okay? Now, that being said, um, we are not in the land of tea, Earl Grey, hot yet, okay? Um, This isn't Star Trek. It's not your communicator. Um, It is not real artificial intelligence with reference to Siri. Um, But I do think it is the beginning of something. What? I don't really know. Now... In fairness, you know, Android has been doing this for a while, but from what I've seen, and and one of uh, someone I work with uh, has an Android phone, and you know, we've been, you know, we've sort of been testing out what we can, what I can do with Siri, and what he can do with his Android phone, and well, I can go, I can, I can do more, and uh, it's uh, in pure, in normal Apple style, they thought it through a little further, right, and in typical Google style. Um, they kind of dropped the ball and haven't done anything since they brought voice tasks into play, oh, what, about a year ago. Um, so, But going back to the 4S in general, I, I, yes, I got to 4S. I did it on, uh, what, two weeks ago or whatever it was. Uh, um, I, I got up at, in the wee hours of the morning here in Texas. Um, you know, uh, it went on sale at midnight uh, Pacific, and I got my lazy butt up at uh, 2 a.m. Central. Um, to find out that the app store wasn't working yet. So if you want to rant, there's one. If you say you're going to go live at, 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 you know, at a certain time, maybe you <laughs> should, you know, go live at that time. Uh, by 2.45, the store was finally open. And uh, the world, the world, not just the United States, but, we, you know, several other countries, including uh, Great Britain. Don, I was watching Don McAllister, and he was trying to buy a phone uh, in you know, out in England, the same time I was trying to buy two here in the United States. You know, it, it was you know, it's good. Australia actually got the release first. We got it a day before because we're a day ahead of you guys in the U.S. And, the, the, uh, well, the, the the store, but the didn't I believe the the stores opened, but the online ordering all started at 12 p.m. Pacific. That, in the United that's States. correct. Right, and that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about launch day. I'm talking about the week before that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Friday morning, I got up and, and, and ordered it because I saw what happened with the iPhone 4. I saw what happened with the iPad 2, and I was expecting the iPhone 4S to sell out in record time. Well, it certainly did that, and um, I think they sold uh, 4 million over that, that first weekend. Uh- yeah, Apple hasn't released the numbers, but the rumor—it's uh, our understanding unofficially that it was four million units sold, including the pre-sales, 
in the in the first weekend. So three million is believed to be the first weekend bef- before release, and then a million additional phones uh, in stores. That's how many of those? How many of those were coming from three G S to four S versus four to four S? Any idea? Mm. Well, actually, not not a not a great idea. Although they were doing some surveys, and and uh, you know, uh, from what I've read, you know, they they really did stupid limited surveys. But from what they found out, yeah, it looks like a lot of it, upgraders actually had iPhone fours. Oh, okay. Uh, now that being said, four million people, um, and a lot of them already had iOS devices. I'm thinking you saw there's a lot of 3GS in 3G owners that that took the that took the plunge with the 4S because it's a two year cycle here in the 18 to two years here in the United right. States. I'm lucky. I'm on a 12 month cycle because I guess I'm just that good. I don't know. Well, uh, remember uh, when they released? <laughs> remember when they released the four? AT and T had that still had the exclusive deal, so they they allowed you like eight months uh, in advance on your um, renewal. So you if you were able to upgrade sooner, and they did not do that this time. No. Well, but- now wait a minute. I was told about four months ago that even though I bought the four last year, because I'm a wonderful, valued customer to AT and T, that whenever the five came out, that's what we were thinking at the time, they would just uh, waive that second year of my contract. So as long as I signed up for another two-year contract, I could get the next iPhone out without a problem. Here's what I'm hearing is that a lot of people who bought – who were early adopters of the 4 will be able to order it coming up, uh, w- will see their contracts reset going into um, uh, Thanksgiving, you know, the, the big holiday shopping season. So um, a, a lot of people are, are being told that in late November they will be eligible for their upgrade. So I'm thinking that maybe there's a little bit of management of how many of the phones are allowed to go – are being sold at one time, and they're trying to control it a little bit maybe. But mm-hmm. that's kind of getting off the, my review here. But, so let me, let me get back to that, and then uh, we can rant about the other things that just piss us off. Um, uh, the the four it's just like the four so if you look at it I've got I've got my four because I had a four uh, I've got my four actually right here in my little hands along with my four S uh, they're both now on Otter boxes and you can't tell the difference except for the switch being in a slightly different place because I had an AT and T version uh, it's a world phone if you've got Verizon or Sprint uh, that's a that that's fantastic for Sprint and Verizon users who want to go to Europe um, or Australia. Because um, they they can use it um, on local networks with you know and, and not be dead, which was what was happening in the past. If you had Verizon phone and went to Europe, you had to get a different phone because it wouldn't work. So now they can travel anywhere. Um, obviously, AT and T customers could already go anywhere where GSM worked. Uh, so the next big thing, so the form factor is identical. Uh, with the exception of the antenna being in a slightly different place, and the antenna was changed, um, you know, because they thought it was a good idea, uh, not for any reasons that may have been in Consumer Reports last year. Um, and I've not noticed any attenuation issues so far. Um, AT&T in Dallas works pretty well, so I don't have a lot of problems with drop calls except when I'm driving. Um, so when you look at the phone, is it faster? It feels a little peppier. Uh, I wouldn't say that when you turn it on, you go, my God, this thing just zooms because the iPhone 4 already zoomed. It was It's a fast phone to begin with. Uh, the 4S is uh, setting screens, applications. The camera does start up a little faster, noticeably faster, actually. And speaking of the camera, nice segue there, um, the quality, 
really is amazing, especially the little light quality. Taking pictures inside my house of my grandkids and – yes, I have grandkids. Uh, my grandkids and my dogs and things like here in the house works astoundingly well. Of course, it's an 8-megapixel image, so you get a little more – you get you know, well, well, 3 megs what uh, uh, three megs more resolution because it was a 5-meg. And um, it's great. Siri, the last thing that was really the big deal. Siri works okay. It, it's in beta, they say. has some issues. Um, but it works relatively well. You just got to learn how to talk to it. I think, and I was telling Dennis this earlier, the killer feature is dictation. You know, uh, Kelly, I, was, I, I think that the camera app and certainly Siri would be two of the most desirable things and the speed. But uh, with the camera... Don't you think it's all destroyed by iCloud and PhotoStream? Oh, <laughs> oh! I, I, you and I discussed this earlier. I am having. I've been using PhotoStream. I, I, I'm in the developer program, and so I turned on iCloud a, a, a couple of weeks before everything went live. I waited. So till you've they been went. miserable for longer. <laughs> it, no, it's horrible. Uh, well said, Dennis. <laughs> uh, no, it works great. Of course, I didn't have problems with mobile me either to speak of. So maybe no, I'm just I didn't good. Either. I did uh, have problems with mobile me, but I've got problems with iCloud. Oh, tell me, no tell me how to delete a picture from PhotoStream. You know what? Yeah. I'm actually afraid to take delete another a picture thousand from pictures. PhotoStream. Yeah, Unbelievable. How, how did they not put a delete option? Well, I, I've tried, and then they come back. It's like okay. they're, uh, they're up in that cloud, and I have absolutely no control over okay. it. I, know, I, there's some things I really, really like about iOS 5. However, the photo stream and iCloud, they should have held back. They should have done something it. different. I love it. I guess I'm just going to have to – we're just going to have to agree to disagree here. Huh? I take a picture, and it immediately shows up on my iPad. I mean we're talking less than a minute here. It's incredible. That happens when I'm on my own home network. So when I'm at home and I'll take a photograph, it'll then sync through everything perfectly well. But when I go out and actually shoot and come back, it can take a couple of hours for the device to actually upload everything to PhotoStream and then download it. How many pictures are you taking, now, though? We're only See, talking I just about have to 60. go across the dateline. And I like that, Kelly. I do like the fact that it's instantly there. However, I'll take six pictures of the same thing because, you know, you just lighting and you want to make sure you get the right smile or this. I right. want to get rid of the other five and keep that one, okay, and it I won't agree. let no, me no. do that. Yeah, that's I'm the not, only I'm problem. Not, I'm not saying it's, that it's not, it's not worthy of a rant, but I wouldn't say it's broken. I would say it is version 1.0. I would say that this is – it's not mobile me – the the next step it's a i mean i think steve jobs said it when he did the when he did the original presentation it, it's all new they they've rethought the whole thing it's it's and it's i think a lot of people are trying to compare it to like google docs and how google works and they are two completely different uh, they are different. Uh, Google Docs actually works, whereas I work. Oh, 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 Okay, I've used, I've used I work. I've I've been using the uh, I I've been playing around with with iWork for a while, the, and the syncing works pretty well. I, I mean, but I've got a I've got device. a document that I have on my iPhone. It immediately appears on my iPad. Yeah, but Kelly, I, I want it to appear on my desktop. There Currently, you. I've got it's to not, log well, in. It's not there yet. It's not yeah, there yet. Yeah, but that's stupid. Why, re why, why release something that's only half done? Okay, okay. let's remember, even round-tripping before iCloud, round-tripping from the iOS version of, of, of Pages or Keynote 
or numbers back to your Mac what didn't worked but was incomplete because they are not they are not identical the feature set is far richer on the computer and it is less rich yeah, but on it's like, iOS it's, device. It's only transferring files. It makes no difference at all because you can still open and edit these documents. But you, you, lose, just, your, you lose your changes. You, lo- you lose, not changes, but you lose some of your formatting when you go from the I- from the from the computer pages. The, the I haven't noticed that. So maybe Depends my formatting hasn't changed. Maybe it's just too basic or something. But no, that's it. If it's plain text and, and really basic features, you won't lose anything. But if you're doing more advanced things, you will lose those. You will lose that when it gets saved. That's so it's not compatible between the desktop and the thing is like Pages. It doesn't have tracking on the on the iPad version. Right. Right. And I send a lot of my stuff out to friends with tracking, and they give it back to me. And if I'm looking at it, not worrying about it on my iPad, I've just lost all the backtracking that they've helped me out with. But see, really, when, when I look at it, guys, I don't care that the formatting is slightly out because when I actually uh, want to write on my iPad, for instance, I'm usually out with the kids doing something. I want to jot down some notes. I want to edit a review that I'm working on. And then I just want it to sync back to the Mac without me having to go and log into iCloud and then download the file and then open the file up in, in Pages. It, it, it's going to iCloud.com and having to upload from the Mac or download from the Mac that I'm going, you know, WTF, Apple, what what morons okay. put that together? Seriously. Well, I don't, I, well, it's okay. broken. I, it's I, completely I, I, broken. It's not broken. It's incomplete. And I think there's... But why, why release it? See, the, 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 Apple released an absolute ton of stuff. But instead of doing it, say, for instance, like Google Plus is doing, where they're, they're introducing things slowly like they've done in the past. Oh, Google, they're going way – Google goes way too slow or drops projects. And it, maybe it's two, it's two sides, two different extremes. Um, and maybe it's because we're used to Apple releasing incredibly finished products like the iPhone or the iPad or the MacBook Pro. Um, or even the Apple TV, but people complain about all those things too. They all say, I, "Well, it doesn't do this, and it doesn't do that, and it doesn't do this." Apple can't meet all everyone's expectations, and because they now have in the computer market over ten percent of the market worldwide, and now and they own what is it thirty twenty percent or whatever it is of uh, of the phone market, and over half and and what somewhere around half of the smartphone market, and eighty percent of the tablet market, they can't make everyone happy. They're, it's a no win scenario for them. They yeah, but they, they, these are simple things we're talking about, Kelly. We're not yeah, talking, no, 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 no. They're not. It's hey, mate, mate. Simple. Seriously, they can do photo stream. They can have an app on the Mac linking with apps on the iOS devices. Why can't they do it with the iWork products? You're talking about data. You're talking about data that doesn't change. A photo is a photo is a photo. A JPEG is a JPEG is a JPEG. But, but an, so, I, an iOS Pages document isn't the same as but it's still the a file. Lion version of it, the Pages. And no, it, I it's, I want it's the same it. because the, the Mac version can open it. You just download it off, off iCloud. Why can't the download just be automatic? Apple can't do it. And I'll tell you, they Apple is no good buy- at cloud computing. That, that's no, my opinion. they're not. And they tried to buy Dropbox. And I read a story recently where Jobs met with the, the yeah, Dropbox they, they, people. Yeah. And then he said, I want to have another meeting, but I want to have it at your facility. And they said no. And, you know, he was a very stubborn man. Rest in peace. But he, they wouldn't do it. They would not let him come into their, uh, their facility. So Dropbox has it down. 
and and Apple just can't get it right. I would take Mobile Me over what they gave us now, though, because this so is right. garbage. And, and I, I see the analogy with, uh, you know, Apple can't make everybody happy. Now, for example, there was a whole lot of bashing about the 4S. Okay, like it was, it needed to be a five, and I, I thought, well, I, this was a significant upgrade with the speed, the camera, and then of course Siri and the voice recognition. That was a great upgrade. I, I'm going to buy one as soon as I can afford it. However, the they took a beating for it. Yeah, it's it's a nice upgrade, but the the cloud business that should have been held off. I have to go with Mark on this one. They should have just held it off and said, let's, it's just no, not right. Okay. Let's you, stick with mobile meat uh, for a while and let's get this a little bit well, better refined. You know where I've got a real issue is where Steve Jobs came out at the last conference he, he uh, presented at and said that mobile me wasn't Apple's finest hour. And I said this on my show last week. What would they call the fiasco of iCloud? It caused nothing. The whole upgrade process caused everyone grief. Four million yeah. people bought iPhones. Four million people. Let's give them, I mean, yeah, but they Kelly, do what, Kelly, they they're, do they're with a level the of activation that no world. company in the world has ever had to do. Not even but Google. Did four million people buy iPhones or did four million people just buy the latest Apple product? And there's a difference there. IPhone. No, they bought iPhones. The iPhone right, but, is a popular phone for a reason or it wouldn't still be selling. Remember, the iPhone 4 was the hottest selling smartphone in the world when apple updated its its wireless network that that sold because it's an apple product and you know that no, that's going to no, be the good but thing. not in the same numbers the airports don't sell well, anywhere no. near the numbers of of the iphone or the ipad they're good devices they're they're some of the best phones on the market i think it's the best but it's you arguably one of the best here here's what i like reminders Oh, I think that is an outstanding feature of iOS. Are you guys having the same work. experience as me? I'm yeah, having a great. problem with it reminders, and that's one of the things I wanted to ask to, to you guys is, okay, there's a section for cloud reminders, and there's a yes. section for other you – know, but, but I had a, a teacher today ask me, how do I have it set up, or is it possible to, to be linked to your calendar? Yeah, it shows up on your, account, your iCal. But but if you put something in your calendar, can that automatically go to reminders? If you've got two or three calendars, if it okay, any no because their tasks have always the tasks in it's a task in iCal have always been have always been inside iCal iCal but separate and iOS and iCloud just continues that same methodology. So I, the, the the reminder and the calendar item are two separate things. Right. They, yeah, and so they they come in as tasks. Okay. Yeah. So and um, yeah. So now I, I like reminders a lot, um, and I think it's a, for a for a version one app, it works amazingly well. Uh, it, it's it's got some issues. Um, I'm using it for a project right now because, and here's one of the reasons I'm having an issue is. Yeah, I'm using I use Exchange on my phone because uh, I use it for work um, you know, instead of their crappy BlackBerry. Um, and there's a rant. Um, huh. it, it, so the iCloud section of it works beautifully as advertised. Tasks, which is the Exchange side, uh, works but is missing all of the extra features, like the geo the geotagging and geofencing doesn't work on the Exchange side. It only works on the iCloud side. And I actually I understand how that working because that geofencing is built in to into iCloud. 
Um, but uh, so you know that's a little annoying. You also yeah. can't reorganize the damn things. You know, if I if I'm entering them and when I'm done entering a long list of things and I enter them in sort of a flow of consciousness, and the last item I enter really needs to be at the top of the damn list, I can't move it to the top of the list. And by changing the priority, it doesn't move to the top of the list. That's annoying. Right. So and that's why would you want to use reminders versus using things or Evernote or because, it, because of I love the geofencing. It works yeah. beautifully. Um, it immediately syncs with my iPad. Right. And by immediate, I mean immediate. Uh, as soon as I hit enter, it's showing up um, and it syncs with my Mac. If I'm it, and it syncs with my Mac, if I'm using the uh, if I'm doing it on the iCloud side. Right on the test side, Exchange syncs it up across my iPad and my iPhone as well. But I, I like things for me. I'm a big things user as well, and OmniFocus. Yeah, uh-huh. and uh, this is different. This is just for the. I love the geofence setup, and it's just that thing that you set that you will not forget when you go to leave, and that that is invaluable to me. That's just one of the things I've liked. So I'm trying to kind of go down my list. I also like the new built-in reader in Safari as well. Hey, let me let me back up to reminders real quick because I can tie it back into the iPhone 4s, Siri, uh-huh. and reminders um, are like cake and ice cream. Um, they they work great together. Um, you really can just say, "Remind me to call my mother when I get home," and literally when I'm pulling into my garage, my phone starts beeping and telling me I need to call my mommy. When they get that, when they get that down, that is going to be badass. That is going to kick ass. It is down. No, it is down. Yeah. It works. I mean, it, it does it work that perfectly. Well. It works so it, perfectly. As good as Forstall did up on his demo. Yes, yes, yes. It, Siri has its issues. It's you know it's in beta, and you got to really learn how to talk to it. You don't have to learn how to. You, you've you got to learn how to pace yourself when you're talking to it. Is really and how and to and, and to enunciate better, um, it, you know. Um, and there's limitations. There's 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 places where when you're using Siri, you'll fall off the ledge and it just doesn't work because uh, it, it it has some work to be done. But with reminders, um, and, and you can actually put reminders into certain lists. I figured out how I can put buy milk and make sure it goes on my grocery list. Um, and if I set up the grocery store I'm using for, um, and I need still playing with this, I can get it where when I show up at the grocery store, it'll remind me. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm driving by the grocery store, it'll remind me, hey, don't forget to buy milk. I, I've heard a lot of people saying how they have to upgrade their uh, their contacts now to add their grocery store and their yeah, pharmacy. And, that, is, I, that is one issue is that you you have to have the addresses in there. I'm but an it's address hog. I already do it. I've, I've been keeping – any place I go to, I, I go to Google Google Maps or whatever, and I suck down the contact information into my contact list. If I go to a restaurant, I suck it down. That way, if I ever want to call them or I want to get an address there, I've got it. So I've been doing that. But a lot of people just put phone numbers, um, and they yeah, don't I'm have the same address way. information. And, and what's so nice is my day job, You know, I work as a firefighter. I'm actually a battalion chief, so I have to cover all the stations. So if there's something that I need to pick up or drop off at a particular station in the morning, I'll set reminders for the particular address. So when I go to station four, oh, I have to pick up their defib. Boom, it hits it. And before I leave or when I get there, I know. So if I get it, when I get there and still forget, as soon as I take off, it reminds me again. It's just outstanding. Yeah, it is one of the positive features, that's for sure. 
Yep. And one that one actually the, works. Now, one of the what, few. I'm going to go back to one that doesn't because I like controversy. Um, I oh, books, no. Here we go again. <laughs> absolutely. iBooks don't sync for me between my iPad and my iPhone. No matter what I do, no matter how many different ways I try to get it to work, and I've done a lot of searching online and every not everyone, but a lot of people are still having the problem. Have you guys come across where the, the highlights, the bookmarks don't sync? That's what's so troubling about the issues. I have no problem whatsoever. iBooks has has never worked so good. That's and a shame. Even, however, however, my iMessage goes to my daughter sometimes, <laughs> and it never goes to my iPad. But, but, but the iBooks works fine. So it's it's some, it's some very things are working for some, and and then others just aren't working at all. It's very strange. Mark, I've been to the point where I, I nearly threw myself up in arms and said, I'm wiping everything out and doing clean installs on everything. Hey, and hey, I was Mark, so frustrated. Mark, uh, under iBooks, have you turned on sync bookmarks and sync collections? I sure have on both sides. And I've got the same account and everything working. And, you know, I don't even know. Maybe it's a regional thing. Maybe that's something that Australia is having problems with. But I've noticed other people in the UK and a couple in the US also having the same problem. So it's very, very interesting as to why some are working. And likewise, uh, you know, some of us are having issues with, with, say, PhotoStream. And others, it's working perfectly for. There just doesn't seem to be any real... Um, one area that you could say, well, yes, everyone in, in this group of people in this country, for instance, are having this problem, or everyone on this network is having this problem. So I'm unsure really whether it's, you know, an Apple server issue maybe that they're having with the new server farm or, or what's really uh, playing havoc, but it, it's very strange. I mean, something like uh, Siri, for instance, I've tried at my local Apple store, and I want to find a place to eat. So I asked it, you know, where are good places to eat? And it came up saying that, uh, unfortunately, not all information is available in all regions. Okay, I accept right. that. That's fine. I, I don't have an issue with that at all because at least it's come back saying, well, we don't have that information for you and your country yet. So hopefully they'll have that down the, down the line. But where I, I sort of don't like it is when something does work and then stops working or when it just doesn't work for me and it works for for everyone else seamlessly. And the strange part is that, you know, prior to this, my stuff was very stable. I never had any problems. Yep. You know, yes, I get on rants, and you guys know I do, especially about the cloud computing stuff. But I love Apple equipment. Um, you know, I've got all Apple equipment. I do run Windows as well. I enjoy Windows 7. But my portable gear is, is all Apple as well. Basically, none of this is necessarily going to stop me from, from looking forward to new Apple equipment. But it does sort of get me frustrated because as a loyal Apple user of, you know, going on for maybe 20 years or so now, this honestly is the worst update process I've ever experienced with Apple. Yep. Their, their whole update to iOS 5. What what I thought was weird was they they made 7.2 a, you know, 384 megabyte uh, download, for instance, the update. So everything relating to iCloud was there. What I didn't understand is why didn't they seed most of this stuff and then do the Delta upgrades that they've been promoting for 7.2 turn it on? I think they were tightly integrated. Um, they were obviously all designed simultaneously, 
um, and I, I, I have to imagine that, um, that there's a, a, t- a very high level of integration between these services, and not having it live uh, may have created some problems. They obviously want you to use it. You cannot use an iPhone 4S or an iOS device without having I- iCloud up and running. Uh, not you know, well, anyway. And one issue maybe that they should have done would have been to kill uh, mobile me completely. Now I'm a I'm a big mobile me user. I love iDisc. I do my website hosting, my podcast hosting off there because it was just, you know, it, it's free. You pay for the the twelve month uh, subscription, and then you didn't have to pay again. It's not like I've got to go and then store it on different services that'll cost me money. So it was quite affordable. Um, but I'm, I'm actually thinking now maybe they should have just canned all services because that's one thing that has come across that people migrating across from mobile me are actually having quite a few issues and it was taken up to 24 hours for some people. It took me four hours to upgrade my mobile me account to the iCloud account. Um, you know, and then they sort of made you do it by a process on the website and I was thinking why didn't they just do this in the background because you only lost really one set of services which was uh, keychain um, syncing and so forth you didn't lose anything massive so they could have done that in the background and, and saved me the frustration of four hours and then things not working properly it would have taken also uh, a, a hefty load off their server farm as well that they could have then applied to to all the uh, sort of updates of iOS and so forth. Well, and this well, is this is so unlike Apple, and I think what really is frustrating as well is the fact that they say it just works. And they said, you know, we have over 200 new features. Now, we all know about the 10, but nowhere does Apple document what are the 200 features and how to get to them. A lot of people, I'll say, you know, do you know that you can actually do kind of a basic text expander now? on keyboard shortcuts and you could create your own shortcuts people don't know that uh, I think I was watching MacBreak and they were showing the new uh, vibration uh, texting ability they didn't cover they just said it works go get it and and we as all loyal Apple fans did that and when we got it it's like what do we do with this because it wasn't explained well at all I kept a phone an iPhone 4 with the, uh, I guess it was 4.3.1 was the last update, something like that. And I also have the iOS 5, and I'm taking screenshots of everything. And I'm going to post them eventually on our website. But just to get an idea of what has changed, because they, they really didn't cover that. They just said, here it is, good luck. They never do, but they, but they never do. And upon well, in, his, in the line upgrade, they did actually the list them. Just working it really is and it really does as a matter while we were on this pot while we were recording this i pulled out my my original iphone 4 and i blew it away because i hadn't done that yet and i did a reset on it and i went through the process of setting up my iphone 4 so that it would work and um i'm done with that process i never connected it to my mac it's completely set up and i can use it and I can actually do a restore. I got my iPhone 4S working. I never connected it to my Mac until two days ago. And I did my complete and total restore over the cloud. How cool is that? That's awesome. But, I, I mean, I'm really concerned about that. And I brought that up on last week's show because it actually, the update bricked my iPhone three times. And then literally took hours with handshake and the server and everything to, to get back up to date. And my big fear... And, and we'll sort of close out on this issue, 
is what happens if the the update over the cloud doesn't work. And there's also one other function that I really, really have to just tell everyone about. I, I mentioned it on my own show last week. I've wrote a, a uh, blog article about it. Now, when you go into the settings area into iCloud on your device, you'll notice that you've got PhotoStream. So we basically put PhotoStream on, and that's fine, that works. But you've also got Storage and Backup. Now, Storage and Backup will automatically back up your camera roll, your accounts, documents, and settings when your iPhone's plugged in uh, and, and charged in and, and connected to Wi-Fi and so forth. The big issue, though, that you've got to be careful of is when that happens, you'll come with, you'll be presented with a warning which says your iPhone will no longer back up to your computer automatically when you sync to iTunes. So if you actually plug in your iPhone, for instance, now into iTunes, it will do an automatic backup. If you select for iCloud to do the, the automatic backup for you over the cloud, over the, the Wi-Fi network, it won't back up to your computer. That's a big issue, a big hole. Hopefully, Apple will change that. No, but, you can still back up. You just wow. it, You can still back up. It's just not automatic. Yeah, you, you can. You can right-click. But, Kelly, the, the point is, and, and this is what I'm trying to make, nobody will do it. Nobody will back up. Maybe we will. Maybe a right. few people that are, are real tech nerds will. Now, well, but the it, masses it, won't I because know, the masses don't know. Here, here's the issue. A majority of people I know that have iPhones and iPads connect it to their computer about once every six months. Mm-hmm. Only when there's an update do they connect it, right? With iCloud and iBackup or whatever the hell they're calling it. I guess it's not iBackup. That's an old program. Uh, that's how long I've been around. Uh, with, with the iCloud backup, it'll happen every single night. That, that's fine, and, 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 that's, and that's good for people who have never used it. But remember, you've got with this, with this backup, you've also got to buy the extra storage because... You, you don't. Yes, you do. It won't fit on 5 gigs. How will well, your, I got your my camera iPad roll... And my iPhone will both fit with 5 gigs so far. And I, and because remember, your music's not being backed up because that's on but the iCloud. But your camera roll is. You guys yeah. just hit on something right there, though. Your, your camera Matt... roll is being backed up. That, that's what I'm trying to, to make a point of. Okay. And... and... One thing, I don't so mean to interrupt you guys. So your videos and your photos gonna, are backing up. Gonna... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dennis. <laughs> no, it's okay. Is You're right. Is that this, it, they are, and I noticed this with Lion, and I, and I can't stand Lion either, to be honest with you. It's, they have made, they have taken the nerd away from, from Mac or the geek, the person that likes to control their files, the person that can back up, the people that, that work on the 321 system that has spent their whole life on a computer learning to do things the way we've learned to do it. They've actually toned it down for the person that doesn't know. That's because it was who it was Mac was designed for. It, it was, but they made this drastic change since Lion and iOS 5 came out. And that's when we're really seeing it. And I think that's why we're seeing guys like us so frustrated. Well, well, another, and I, another I, I understand, but it's being designed for, you know, it's the computer for the rest of us, which is what their slogan yep. from what, 20 years ago. Yeah, but what my point is, Keller, is that they shouldn't be taking away what we're also used to. They should be adding these services as a, an extra value. You know, hey, These are the guys who removed the, the floppy? Who removed, you know... Yeah, but my ba- backup is important. I mean, th- this is one thing. You can select iCloud backup on the phone to backup to the iCloud. It won't automatically backup on your Mac, but you can't go to iCloud.com and download a copy of this just in case Apple's servers fall over. That's stupid. I'm buying an Android. 
That is that is stupid. Now, now listen, you know we're all we're all massive Apple fanboys in one way or another, right. and, and Kelly's really gone over the top with his today. Um, and I, I, you know, yes, I'm negative and, and so forth, but I've never had such a disappointing experience. And all I can I'm hope is you. that in future updates they get it right, and I'm sure they will down the track. But I, I really never thought that we'd see this kind of uh, schmuzzle um, from Apple, basically. So. Well, on that note, if we don't have anything extra, I know Dennis, you I, want to I, say something before we, I, we close out I, the show? Yeah, okay. yeah, just it's horrible. <laughs> I horrible. <laughs> oh, God. It re- Kelly it's is get, such a fanboy. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. <laughs> well, here, here's my quick question for the group. I went into the Apple store the other day because I, I had a few questions that, that, you know, we just didn't understand things. For instance, I... I purchased, before all this even happened, 40 gigs of iDisk space. And my question was, okay, when we go to iCloud, what happens? Does that 40 space that I paid for go away? 40 gigs of space. And when I went over to iCloud, I noticed that I now have 55 gigs. Yeah. I actually somehow, I've been transferred to the, you paid for it. Now, I still have my 40 gigs of iDisk space, but... Now, like you just said, Kelly, you have an iPhone and an iPad hooked up to sync wirelessly. I didn't do that yet. Um, but I asked the kid, what is 55 gigs of iCloud space? What am I putting on it? There's no way I'm going to get 55 gigs of Keynote documents up there. Well, Jeff, what is supposed to be up if, there yet? It's only useful if you actually use the iCloud backup. And that was my whole thing about the, but, the but free what's, version. what's 55 gigs going to well, be? Well, uh, if you back up your I camera roll. Well, documents, we don't know everything that's going to go up on the iCloud. I think the iCloud is the beginning of complete cloud storage that Apple is well, moving forward. They built that server form for a reason, and the reason right. is iCloud. But I asked him the question of what is that used for, and and without even thinking about the question, he says a, a, a textbook answer of Apple does not support movies yet. And I said, oh. You know, obviously, no, well, if you movie, buy something from, but, from but, iTunes... But movies are totally it, different, Jeff, because anything you buy from iTunes, that'll come down automatically and doesn't go towards the storage right. in iCloud. Right. All right, well, on that note, you know what? I think we better stop, uh, you know, tormenting and traumatizing the <laughs> tech fan listeners because otherwise Tim and David will be really upset if, if they keep losing people because of our <laughs> rant. So on that note, we'll sign out and we'll just go around the room and see where everyone can be found. Jeff, if you'd like to go first... Oh, you can find me on teachercast.net. We have a great site. There's a lot of wonderful educational technology out there. We do weekly podcasts where we bring on some of the best teachers and principals and administrators around the world and uh, talk about all great things. We've got screencasts and software how-to-dos, and and there's just a ton of stuff out there education-wise. And uh, we have an awesome, we have a really cool free uh, iPhone, iPad app that's out there doing really well. So check us out, TeacherCast.net, TeacherCast on iTunes, and on Twitter, where I'm almost, I'm really close to getting a thousand Twitter followers. Um, please check us out, TeacherCast on Twitter. I'm 50 more away from getting a thousand. Fantastic. And the biggest fan of everything Apple does, Kelly, where can people find you? Uh, easiest thing to do is you can just find me using uh, using Twitter. I am Spore on, on Twitter. Um, uh, that's the easiest way to, to hunt me down. And Dennis, where can everyone find out more about what you're doing on Google Plus and your own Mac podcast? 
I'm not sure anybody's going to want to know what I'm doing after this, but uh, actually I, I've got an, an about.me page slash Dennis Freitas, and that'll take you to all my sites, but it's googleplustoday.net and yourmacshow.com. Those are where I, I mainly work. Fantastic. And if you've got any feedback, and most likely you will, please send it to help at everydaymacsupport.com. I'll be happy to uh, address any emails I get on, on my show, which is Not Another Mac Podcast. And I'll, of course, pass on any to Tim and David to discuss next week. Uh, you can also find out more about me uh, through the about.me page with forward slash Mark Grantree. Well, thank you for enjoying this show. Hopefully we didn't go too overboard on our, our rants and so forth. You can see we're passionate Mac users. I'm sure you're all yelling at your devices or your screen or, or wherever you're listening to the show to go, no, it's this way or it's that way, or I agree or I disagree. Send some feedback to us. We'd appreciate it. Go to iTunes, subscribe to not only Not Another Mac Podcast, but also the Tech Fan Show. And until next time, take care. <laughs>